Welcome to You, Me and from Football Whispers, the nostalgic football podcast which each week takes a trip back in time to remember an iconic player from the 90s. This week I'm joined by Daniel Harris, football writer and author, as well as being a Manchester United fan. Well first, Daniel, thank you ever so much for joining us, giving up your time today to talk about Eric Cantona. Firstly, when I say that name to you, one of the greats of the Premier League era and of Manchester United, of course, what does that name, what kind of emotions does that name stir up within you? Well, the thing about Eric Cantona is he represents so much more than football. Um, and that's the reason as to why he's held in such high regard by Manchester United fans and really by anyone who understands what's important in the world. Because if, just, if you just look at the football, he obviously represents flair and skill and strength and power and handling pressure and all those things and wit and creativity. I mean, I can obviously keep going. But also, he represented something a bit more than football. He represented doing the right thing and being true to yourself, whatever the consequences, standing up against injustice. And those are qualities that I was raised to always associate with Manchester United and qualities that I also associate with the city of Manchester. And in any event, even if I didn't, it would be things that I hope I would think were important. And all of those things coalesce are embodied by Eric Cantona. And those were qualities that got him in trouble quite often along the way. Does that, in a perverse kind of way, add to his his legacy? Um, it adds to his legacy, but I don't think there's anything perverse about it at all. There's uh, It's um, intensifying, it's affirming. Um, I think we even need to go further back before Eric was born. Um, his grandfather, he ended up in Spain, in, sorry, he ended up in France, in Marseille, because uh, his grandfather got injured fighting Franco um, in the Spanish Civil War. And again, like, stand, he's standing up against fascism, doing the right thing. And that is something that runs through Eric Cantona's career. And ultimately, if someone is taking the piss out of you, you need to tell them. And that was the trouble, really, that... Eric got into. I mean, he did also have something of a temper, it is fair to say. But in general, I think the thing that I associate with him is uh, standing up against injustice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, born in Marseille to a Spanish mother and an Italian father, he took his formative steps in football as a goalkeeper before gradually moving forward throughout his youth career. We're not going to go too in-depth on his journeys in France early on, but he certainly bounced around playing for uh, Auxerre, Marseille, Bordeaux, Montpellier and, and ultimately Nîmes before he moved to this country. How do you kind of sum up his, his time in France? He had a few fallings out, shall we say. So I think what, what happened early on in Eric's career was that he he didn't have the political capital to do what he was doing in that you can go around calling people idiots if you like and you might be right, but if you're not important enough in their minds, then it's not going to matter that much. Whereas subsequently in his career, when he established himself some political capital, not only that, but he was somewhere where people loved him, he had more scope to say and do the things that he thought he wanted to do and be protected by people who were looking, whose job it was to look after him, as happened with Matt when he, when he got suspended playing for Manchester United at Palace. I'm just going to talk over a couple of particular instances. I won't read out his entire rap sheet because we'll be, we'll be here for some time. Uh, but in 1987, fined for punching teammate Bruno Martini in the face. Uh, following year, a three-month ban for a, a three-month ban for a kung fu tackle on a Neem player. Uh, That's on YouTube. For anyone that wants to look it up, that is 
That is that is a challenge. A year's ban from the French uh, national team for insulting coach Henri Michel, calling him a bag of shit on television. Sac de merde. There you go. Very good. Better than my French. Uh, a one match ban, a one month ban, I should say, for booting the ball in the face of a, the torpedo Moscow crowd and then ripping his shirt off through the boots, through his boots in the face of a Montpellier teammate, and then through the ball in the face of a referee while in Nîmes. Does he have kind of authority issues with authority and you know the the people that were supposed to be in ch- in charge of him as you mentioned or you know set the kind of rules and so on or and and, and how did his kind of his his grow his uh, upbringing kind of feed into that do you think um, i think well yeah he didn't he did have problems with authority and i think this is one of his uh, this is part of the allure that just because someone is in a position to tell you what to do, it doesn't mean they have any business telling you what to do. And I think that what we see in, um, throughout Eric's career, really, but particularly in the early stages, is him coming to terms with his personality. I mean, if you think about it really as a footballer or just as a human being, coming to terms with who you are is something that takes most of us all of our lives. And we don't really get there necessarily at any point. And we do usually become better at controlling ourselves and understanding ourselves. But in the meantime, we go about, particularly when we're younger, acting in a particular way. And that is, for most of us, without the aggravating factors of talent and sometimes money. Um, So I think what we saw from Eric was that he was someone who had a lot of talent and who was unwilling to accept what he perceived to be injustice, people telling him what to do, the authority of people he didn't respect. And he wasn't prepared to just sit there and take it. And him coming to terms with all of those things and the fact that he was someone who reacted in passionate ways is what we see in that early part of his career. And it's hard to say how how these values were instilled in him when he was younger or whether they were just a reflection of the chemical reactions that are going on in his brain over which he has no control any more than any of the rest of us. So it's hard to be too certain about things like that. But I guess he was raised to ask questions and to challenge and to think. And when you do that with a child, you have to be ready for them asking questions when other people don't necessarily want them to. I should just add on that that final one, throwing the ball in the face of the referee, uh, the disciplinary committee uh, walked up to each member of the disciplinary committee, I should say, called them an idiot and uh, had his ban subsequently doubled before retiring briefly. So took that well. The France coach at the time was Michel Platini and he and Gerard Houllier persuaded Cantona that he was probably better off not returning to Marseille and a move to England was better for him instead without kind of speculating too wildly we can't how different might things have been for him and for English football had he not made that decision to to cross the channel extremely different because what happened was he catalyzed a revival in the richest biggest club in the country that led to 20 years of dominance and I mean I think without Cantona United would have got there in the end because the fact that all they needed was Cantona tells you that they were a pretty good team with some serious players. But what Cantona did was he tied, he was the big Lebowski's rug. I mean, he tied everything together. But more than that, he became the embodiment of 
cool, which meant that he brought eyeballs to the Premier League. He brought eyeballs to Manchester United. He inspired a generation of school kids. He inspired a generation of young players. And all of those things were very significant in creating the footballing landscape that we see today. He had the opportunity to join Liverpool. We, I've, I read it prior to this, um, but Graham Souness rejected the opportunity to sign him in order to maintain kind of team spirit and team harmony. Was this a kind of sliding doors moment? Do you think how you know how again how different things might have been for Liverpool? The, the wait for the title that we know to have been thirty years now, perhaps could have could have been slightly shorter. Possibly. I mean, it's not necessarily the case that Cantona would have gone to Liverpool and transformed them because certain things work in certain circumstances and certain players succeed in certain places and certain players fail in certain places. And I think that, um, number one, um, Cantona was an elite-level player at United, but he wasn't necessarily a player of the level of... Roberto Baggio, I'm trying to think of the best players in the world were at the time, Romario, who you could have put anywhere and they would have been as good as he was at United. The specific circumstances at United, first of all, the players that he played with, um, having Mark Hughes alongside him, having Roy Key and uh, Paul Lintz behind him, having two wingers outside him, having Alex Ferguson, the manager, were very significant. And also you've got a crowd who have traditionally taken to rebels whether it was immediately before him you had Norman Whiteside uh, Dennis Law players who liked it when it got tasty and who behaved in such a way that showed that they didn't have any particular respect for authority and players who for want of a better word because there isn't a better word were cool George Best uh, Dennis Law again like players who were extremely cool. Then the Tom, Tommy Doherty's team also, um, also his, his United team, Martin Bucken, players who stood for something, who had presence, who weren't just people who were good at football, who had some personality, who had, who had a, a rebellious spirit. Those things are very, they, those things fit very well with the things that Manchester United likes to think it stands for, the things that Manchester United does stand for, it's, it's self-mythologising, it's mythologising. And I think that at Liverpool it wouldn't have been the same because they're not synonymous particularly with those kinds of individuals. And, I mean, when Liverpool were good, they were called the Red Machine, and that's sort of what they were, a machine. If you actually look at the personalities that were part of that team, there aren't that many that jump out at you. And with Manchester United, it's not the same. It was Leeds who got their hands on him first, joined on loan in January 92, 100 grand up front for the loan with a further 900,000 to make the deal permanent. And he played quite a significant role as they won the old first division title, played 15 times and scored three goals. Just talk to us about that season and Cantona's impact on Leeds. And then obviously, I suppose, what followed with the, the, the inaugural premiership. I think that sometimes Cantona's role in what happened in Leeds winning the league is overstated. But he did. He was important, but he didn't start all the games. I mean, Verardi was playing, Chapman Shutt were playing as well, as I remember. But he gave them just a little boost when they needed one, when United were faltering and failing to score. He just gave them that little bit extra. I don't think he... I think had Cantona not gone to Leeds there's a good chance they would still have won that league because United fell apart and, as you said, he only scored three goals. 
Although one of them again was, was the one he scored against Everton. I can't actually remember if that was or was it Chelsea. That was a goal with a brilliant goal with involving some ball juggling that he scored. But now I'm beginning to wonder if that was the beginning of the following season. But anyway. Um, I still think that he gave them some confidence, he gave them some swagger, he gave them some presence. And um, I think the first time I'd seen Cantona was when he played He played for France against England, which I think was um, Shearer's debut, if I'm not mistaken. Shearer scored, England won 2-0. And, and he, he, didn't, he didn't do all that much. But, I mean, you knew his reputation because you knew of the things that you'd heard him do. So then when he went to Leeds, it sounded like not the kind of player you wanted to be going to a team who were bitter rivals and historic rivals and also a team with whom you you were competing for a title at that time. But, yeah, as I said, like, I'm not sure... I'm not sure that Leeds might have won the league without Cantona, but that's not to say that he didn't help them win the league because often, if you think back to teams that have won leagues... There'll be a goal or two here and there scored by someone who didn't do that much across the season, whether it's Federico Makeda or um, Christopher Ray or Cavadiawara or whoever, that proved to be extremely significant. Let's take a short break there and then we'll return and discuss the move to Manchester United and everything, of course, that followed. Welcome back to UMIAN today. We're discussing King Eric Cantona and we're joined by Manchester United fan, writer and author Daniel Harris. We'll just tie up one loose end, actually. The, the kind of in the finale for Cantona at Ellen Road scored a hat-trick uh, against Liverpool in the 92 charity Shield in a 4-3 win. And despite starting fairly well, Leeds's title defence quickly began to unravel. Howard Wilkinson took a lot of the flack, but Cantona took a bit to just talk to us about how it kind of began to unwind he was by the end he handed in a transfer request but what kind of led up to that point I'm not sure I mean he wasn't he wasn't playing that much I think he probably didn't get on that well with Howard Wilkinson because Howard Wilkinson was I mean Sergeant Wilco as he was known and I don't think just because of Sergeant Wilco I think that was his demeanour and Eric was a free spirit and I don't think that Howard Wilkinson appreciated that. And he played football in quite a rigid manner. And again, like Cantona likes was plays quite off the cuff football. And I don't think that I don't think Howard Wilkinson was the right manager for him. And what was also happening at United was United blew up at the end of the previous season because they just couldn't partly because they just had loads and loads of games and the pitch at Old Trafford was crap, but also they couldn't score. And the reason they couldn't score wasn't just because they were tired. It wasn't just because the pitch old traffic was crap. It was because they lacked a bit of ingenuity. And in the 92-93, at the beginning of that season, again, they found it difficult to score. I remember there was two games against Villa, one who were doing well at the top of the league at the time, one in the League Cup and one in the league. Well, they actually didn't play that badly, but they just really struggled to score. And they lost both games. And um, I remember there was around that time that they drew with, they drew it home to QPR and they could the nil-nil and they drew with Blackburn. And then they started losing. They lost to Wimbledon at home. I think they lost that, those, that Villa game I was talking about. And it was the same problem. So United needed, they needed something. And Fergie, I mean, it's legendary. Fergie had always kind of fancied David Hurst. So he was trying for him. 
But then, I mean, we know that they had the conversation about where Leeds inquired about Dennis Irwin, and Fergie has always been a gambler. And, can, and he asked about Cantona on a whim, and Leeds, I imagine at the time, were quite pleased to get the money that they got because they wanted rid and had probably decided that he wasn't for them, perhaps decided that he was trouble. So it was probably a deal, I would say, that, worked, that both clubs thought was good. For United, it was a relatively cheap punt, and they were struggling to score, and it was, seemed unlikely that signing Cantona would make them less potent. And Leeds got paid for someone that they weren't really getting anything out of. Yeah, exactly. In the long run, I suspect they might end up ended up regretting it. You mentioned there David Hurst, Matt Letizia and Brian Dean were others that seemingly United had gone after at that point. What was it that... Did, was there any similarity between those players or sort of on a kind of tactical level, stylistic level? Or was it that Ferguson just needed to inject something that would, you know, act as the, the kind of fire starter? Yeah, not really. David Hurst was a striker, was a number nine. And um, he was a goal, a goal scorer and Eric was a creator. So and it's also unusual because you had the, when, when I signed Cantona, I obviously played up front with Mark Hughes. And that's not the traditional striking partnership. Like you might have a big man and a small man. I mean, that's sort of understood as the traditional one where the big man holds the ball up and the small man runs in behind. Or it might be the other way around where your number nine is a goal scorer and your number 10 is nippy. Um, is, is, is nippy and skillful. That, that was the kind of the traditional English mix. And then you'd have other you'd have other mixes where you'd have um, you'd have two two sort of all purpose centre forwards. Uh, Dwight York and Andy Cole, although they came after, a good example of that. Where you had two blokes who could do everything. They were quick. They were strong and told it up. They were good in the air. They could create. They could, they could finish from inside the box. Finish from outside the box. All of those things. Whereas Cantona and Hughes, like neither of them were that quick. Eric was quick enough. But neither of them were really prolific goal scorers. And it's rare that you would pair two not prolific goal scorers together and then play for a team that scored a shitload of goals. But what you had was you also had you had three wingers who were very fast and also good goal, also good goal scorers. And that was the reason that it worked, but the two of them, it wasn't, it wasn't a traditional combination. It was punt. What was Cantona's role ultimately then? Because initially, as you say, you had Mark Hughes, Brian McClare, I think, dropped back into midfield. Is that right? How did Ferguson fit him into that team? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, there was like Darren Ferguson had been playing a bit in central midfield. And what, I th- and what they did was, um, I, think, I think Darren Ferguson played in the last few games before Cantona, I think. I'd have to have a look. Uh, but then what, the, the game after they signed Cantona... The, Eric didn't play in. I think it was after they signed Eric. It was Oldham at home. And I guess that was probably Claire's last go up front. He scored twice. Um, but then he moved back into midfield, basically taking Darren Ferguson's place. And um, Eric went up front with Mark Hughes. And uh, it worked immediately. And that is, it's not always the case. But I would say, in general, with attacking players, for those it's going to work for, it works pretty quickly. Andy Cole's an example of one who took time, but most of the other strikers that United have bought in the time that I've been watching football have either worked straight away or haven't worked. What was the reaction at the time from, I suppose, both sides of this deal, United fans and and Leeds fans? Were were people fairly sceptical about the merit of it or 
how I guess with time, obviously people revise those opinions. But uh, what uh, initially, what was the um, the fallout? My own reaction. I remember hearing about it. I was how was I when I signed Eric? I was thirteen. Um, I just I, and in those days, obviously there was no Sky Sports News or anything, whatever. So if you're that kind of kid, I used to spend my life listening to sports news on radio. Was it Radio? I think it was Radio 5 by then, not Radio 2, at half past the hour. Um, and I, that was how I heard it. I heard it on a, on a sports desk, and I was excited because Leeds had this player who was everything I thought a football player should be, and United had bought him, and I knew that United needed something. So I felt like most people were quite excited to take a player like Cantona, who embodied what they think United should be, and who they were taking off a rival. And because the Leeds fans loved Cantona, um, and there, there was a single where built around when they won the league at the town hall or whatever, Eric says something like, I don't know why I love you, but I love you. And I mean, that was taken, like they took a sample, someone took a sample and made a single out of that. So if United to relieve uh, Leeds of Cantona and him to turn up and be the player, a player that they hoped could make a difference, I think most United fans were happy and most Leeds fans were unhappy. Um, I mean, there were some experts that were busy writing about how Cantona would fail, but I think that the supporters were probably, I don't think there probably had been that much dispute, that these fans were not happy, but trusted Howard Wilkinson because he delivered them a league title. And United fans were delighted because they needed someone. And it was obvious that Cantona, as a person, was everything that they needed. And as a player, like, there was a good chance he could be something. But I, don't, I mean, no one thought, what he did would be the case, but I think that it was fair to expect something good from him. No, certainly. Well, United lost just twice in the league after Cantona's arrival and finished the season 10 points clear as champions, first time in 26 years. And in doing so, Cantona became the first player to win consecutive English top flight titles with different clubs. Just how big was his impact? We said before, you said before, you know, probably Leeds would have won it without him. Would the opposite be true for United that he was the you know the real the, the turning point in their season? Yeah, for sure. United wouldn't. United, I don't think, would have won the league that season without signing Cantona. It's possible that they could have signed someone else who would have made who would have made enough of a difference because it's quite a low points tally that won the league that year, and the competition was not great. Um, but only Cantona could have decided the league for five years in a row and no other player who's played in England can say that, that they were the key figure in deciding who won the league title. And sometimes, sometimes things just work. And this is why, um, and I'm not about to go into a rant about why stats aren't, aren't useful in football because stats are extremely useful in football. But ultimately, um, a football team has a lot of moving parts and a lot of, and, and football is a simple game, but people are complicated. And so when you build a football team, there are a lot of things to bear in mind that you can't measure. And Cantona is a good example of that. I, I doubt very much whether any statistical model would have sent Cantona to United in November 1992. And yet Cantona to United is probably the most significant transfer, um, I would say, not necessarily in, in, in certainly modern English football history. Um, for United, I would, like, the, the transfer that changed everything was, was when they bought Dennis Law, in that that was the beginning of the post-Munich recovery. Um, but Cantona was the modern equivalent of that. And um, the reason why it worked 
could not be measured. The reason why it worked was a combination of all the things that you need when you put together a football team that it's impossible to measure and the personality that he brought with him that is also not something that is easy to measure via algorithm. It's quite interesting you mentioned the stats there and, and that side of things because with Football Whispers, we are, you know, we're big on data and what have you with respect for other points of view as well. But comparing him to trying to fit Cantona into football in 2020 or in recent times, is there anyone who's followed who stylistically is similar to him or playing now that is stylistically similar to him or is he someone that truly sort of broke the mould? Well, United replaced him with Teddy Sheringham, who in some ways was not dissimilar, like strong, not that quick, although Cantona was a lot quicker than Sheringham, good in the air, um, decent finisher. Um, but uh, who is like Cantona now? Um, I mean, I guess Ber- Bergkamp is obviously not playing now, but Bergkamp was not dissimilar in some ways and that he saw the game differently to other people. I'm not sure that Eric was as dexterous as Bergkamp in some ways, but I think that Eric was quite a lot better under pressure than Bergkamp was. Um, and someone who... Because I think the thing about Cantona is that also, I mean, I'm sure there are metrics that can measure this, but we, we know it because we saw it, was the way he always, not always, but almost always turned up at clutch. Um, when United, when the team most needed him, he would find something. And that is perhaps the most important quality in any sport and any sportsman is what do you do that it's all very well beating Charlton 3-0 but what do you do when you're a goal down with five minutes to go or it's 0-0 with five minutes to go and you have to win that's where Cantona turned up and I think a lot of that is part of that's personality that it's calmness under pressure it's confidence in your ability to execute under pressure it's the knowledge that football isn't necessarily the most important thing in the world and it's the idea that I think I remember him saying that when when he got when he took those two penalties in the 94 cup final someone said were you nervous and he was like you play football all your life for these moments and that sounds very easy to say um, and less easy to experience and so resilience under pressure ability to control your own emotions is something that probably unites most sportsmen but the very best sportsmen have that more than others and the other thing that I think is really important to talk about is you have some players who have a very high top level but a terrible bottom level and the best players in general are the best players because they have very high bottom levels or they can contribute when they're when they hit their bottom level so Wayne Rooney for example had some of the worst of, of a player of his talent, probably the worst nightmares of anyone I can remember. But if he was having a nightmare, you wouldn't forget he was playing because he would always put shift in. Whereas Eric was someone who might be quiet for 85 minutes, but at the moment when you wanted him to appear, he would appear. And that is also to do with confidence, resilience under pressure, fitness in that you're ready, even if you're tired, you can still do what you need to do. But all of those things made Eric Cantona special because it's hard to think of anyone in whom all those qualities coalesced. I mean, I think one of the reasons we don't see anyone like Cantona around at the moment is that the number 10 is well, its not dead as a position, but there aren't many of them around because most teams, I think, these days play in 4-3-3. And you need 
So you either use the number nine like Manchester City do to finish as many moves as possible, or you use number nine like Liverpool do as a playmaker. And there are some teams that play four four two. I think um, who did I watch the other day who were playing four four two? I watched uh, Rebel. Rebel playing four four two, which gives you a little bit more scope. But I also think the problem in general with a number ten is that if they're not going to do a lot of running in midfield then you need to be sure that they're going to give you a certain amount of goals, either by scoring them or creating them uh, in a top team. You can have a number 10 like Raquel May if you're not a top team and just someone you can enjoy watching. But if you look at the top teams, you need certain things in order to play a number 10. If you look at Arsenal's team, for example, that Burkham played in, they, the, first, the first Arsenal team that he played in had two monsters in midfield, Vieira and Petit, which meant you could get away with a bloke who was kind of knocking about waiting to do something good. And then if you look at the team that he played in after that, it didn't have quite as monstrous a midfield because you had Edu, not Petit, most of the time. But you had Thierry Henry scored so many goals and made so many goals that you could wear someone like Bergen. Whereas nowadays, to carry someone, carry is probably the wrong word, but to incorporate a number 10 into a football team, they need to be giving you numbers, bottom line, and you need to have players around them who can cover for the things they're not going to do. So, and the United team that Canton played in, first you had McClare and Ince, and then you had Keenan Ince. And if you've got those two fuckers charging around, then you can have a guy who's just there to do nice bits. Well, you mentioned Paul Ince there, and just lastly, before we finish this chat, so I just wanted to read you a quote from him, which... He, uh, he, which is something he said in the fir- that first season of Cantona being at Old Trafford. Yeah, he just had that aura and presence. He took responsibility away from us. It was like he said, I'm Eric and I'm here to win the title for you. Does that kind of sum up his impact on United and everything that, that followed, that he just sort of grabbed the ball by the horns and dragged them into a new era of success? Or not new, because they'd had success, but, you know, an, an era of success when they'd been dormant. You know, it was a continuation of the era. And I guess it was also a continuation of the swagger in some ways in that I feel like Lee Sharp sort of represented the return of United swagger and the first bit of Fergie swagger. And then Cantona came to augment that. And I think that I'm reminded, and this is actually comes after Cantona, but I remember um, Real Madrid won the Champions League in 2000 and Roy Keane said that he saw Raul celebrating, but none, he wasn't crying with this is unbelievable, he was stood there saying, yeah, I deserve this, I've worked for this, and this is what I'm worth. And it felt like Cantona supplied that to a United team as well that had collapsed the previous season and didn't necessarily have the confidence to immediately get going again the following season because they didn't know they could do it. And Cantona turned up and convinced people that, convinced his play, convinced the crowd and convinced players that he was all under control and that they could do it and he would make sure that they did it because he was him. And that confidence definitely rubbed off on the players, but ultimately you can have all the confidence in the world, but if you aren't any good, it doesn't matter. And Antonio was very, very good. And I think that when people evaluate how good he was and who the best players have been that we've seen in the Premier League era, people don't particularly consider him because partly because he played at the beginning and partly because the standard around him wasn't that high. As in the standard, like the, the, the mid nine, the, the early to mid nineties, the standard of English football was still climbing. 
And so people don't necessarily think about Cantona, um, but he dominated the league for five seasons and he decided who won the league for five seasons. And no, yeah, as I said before, no one else can say that. No one else has had that impact on a club or on the final standings of a league. Even players who are better than Cantona, Thierry Henry, um, never won. He won three leagues, but he never won. I think he won three leagues. Or did he win two? No, he won two. And he, and he never won two in a row. And you look at all the other players who, all the other brilliant players who played in England. Um, Ronaldo was brilliant for three seasons. He didn't exert the same influence as Cantona did for as long as Cantona did. And Cantona also, I would say, changed the game in England. And it's not just about this traditional, spooky foreign art of practice. It's to do with swagger and joy in playing the game that Cantona kind of reintroduced. It was just a bit, something a bit different. Someone who played with not only flair, but with personality and with charisma that English football hadn't seen that much of through the 80s and 90s. It was basically Gaza and not a whole lot else. Well, that's brilliant. And I think we will leave it there, take a very short break, and then we'll be back to discuss the real meat of uh, Cantona's United career and perhaps even a particular incident at Selhurst Park. Welcome back to You, Me, and today I'm joined by football writer and author Daniel Harrison. We're discussing Eric Cantona. The success continues for Cantona and United after that first season. They retained the Premiership in 93-94 and win the FA Cup. And you, Daniel, mentioned the, the pair of penalties that he scored in the FA Cup final win over Chelsea. They only missed out on a domestic treble by losing to Aston Villa in the League Cup final. As Cantona scored 25 times in all comps and was named PFA Player of the Year. Was this his best season in English football, do you think? Or is it hard to separate them given the concentrated periods of success he had, as you mentioned previously? I would say in terms of the actual football that he played, it's hard to go beyond that 92-93 run-in in some ways. Partly because it was something new and exciting and it was the first of him. 93-94, he was just consistently brilliant. By 95, 96, it was more what you remember is not necessarily the best football that he played, but just the, the uh, what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say here. But just, um, it was more just the contributions in 95, 96. So you need a goal against Newcastle, 1-0 Cantona. Quarter past five at QPR, United are 1-0 down, 1-0 Cantona. Um, 0-0 with an hour had gone against Arsenal, 1-0 Cantona. 0-0 an hour gone against Tottenham, 1-0 Cantona. And it's in that season, it's not so much about the brilliance of the, the football that he played, although there was that too. It was just about the interventions, which was the word I was looking for before. Um, whereas the actual brilliance of the, the football, the champagne football, came, I would say, in the second half of 92-93 and all the way through 93-94. Well, we'll just skip ahead quickly to 94-95 uh, and things look to be on track for United and Cantona scored an important winner against Blackburn Rovers in the race for the title and scored a couple of goals as United advanced through the FA Cup and then we come of course to January 25th 1995 a pretty iconic date in its own way the Kung Fu kick on Crystal Palace fan 
Matthew Simmons having already been sent off for kicking out a Palace defender. Richard Shaw, what was your, where were you watching? How we, or how were you following the game? What was your reaction? And what was the kind of reaction of the nation and, and United fans? Were United fans more understanding or sympathetic to Eric's cause than, than others? Um, yeah, I, I, I was there that night at Selhurst Park. I was, um, I was opposite, but I would be lying if I said I had a perfect view of what went on. Um, I would say that by that point, most United fans would have defended Cantona anything, but it was an absolute privilege to be able to defend what Cantona did then. Um, I mean, I remember that going into school the next day, I would always, sounds absolutely ludicrous now, but here we are, I would always have my the collar of my blazer up because of Cantona. And uh, I went in the following, the following morning with my blazer still like that. I went to a Jewish school where we had to wear what's called a kippah, like a head covering, and I had a tipex the seven Cantona on mine. Um, and um, when and the, it was what Eric did was that I mean I think that when you go to a football match, it feels like it's part of the unwritten laws that it's all right if you're in the crowd to shout whatever you fancy at a player. And I guess in some ways it is, but. If the player gives you a crack in return, you don't really have a leg to stand on. Because why wouldn't that, why would one be okay and not the other? Um, and Matthew, Matthew Simmons were, shouted what he shouted at Eric, and Eric decided that he wasn't having that. And if I examine my moral sensibilities before, during, after, I don't care. I mean, if Eric decided not to give Matthew Simmons a slap, then that is up to him. And if he decided that what Matthew Simmons said merited a slap, well, yes, it did. And so him, it's funny how he jumped into the crowd. It became known as the Kung Fu kick. And who even knows what a Kung, what's the difference between a Kung Fu kick and a kickboxing kick and a karate kick and a Muay Thai kick and all of these things. But somehow someone decided that, yeah, this reminds me most uh, in all the in all the martial arts in which I am expert, this reminds me most of the Kung Fu kick. And it became known as the Kung Fu kick. But I remember the following, I was at the game with my dad and we both thought that it was fucking brilliant to tell you the truth. And we both still think that now. And on the way, uh, the following day after school, um, when I went to the dentist and was in the car with my dad driving from school to the dentist. And with every phone-in was people ranting and raving about Cantona. And it was a great feeling. It was a great feeling. Number one, I guess, it was a great feeling that we were there. The second thing, it was a great feeling that someone who represented United had stood up for themselves in this way and had stood up for ultimately right against wrong. And if someone insults you in a if someone insults someone in a xenophobic way, in my opinion, that that person is entitled to respond with violence if they like. Now we there's obviously discussions about levels of proportionality in that, but racism, fascism, xenophobia are not defeated with polite words. And wherever you look in history, you will find that that is the case. It's a fight. And if you're fighting for what is right, then you have to fight. And as a 16-year-old kid, was I 16? I think I was 15. I was 15. As a 15-year-old kid, 
trying to work themselves out, work out what was important. That was a reminder to be true to yourself and to be true to what is right and what is wrong in all circumstances, whatever the consequences. And it's not something that I think about all the time. It's not, I mean, it's not something that I act upon all the time, but it is something that I try and think about. And many years later, in fact, how many years later would it have been? Even 10 years later, I was um, a lawyer. In, I was doing a training contract in a big city law firm. And um, I, my boss was very important, not just in the law firm I worked for, but in generally in city law. And he, he was chairman or secretary of some city law society that the status of which this accorded him made him carnally excited. And he asked me to send a fax for him once. Remember those? And um, so I was about to send the fax and I shut my pants. Am I sure that I'm sending the right one? So I showed the secretary, which I thought was the right one. She said, no, no, it's that one. And because I bottled it, I went with what the secretary said. And um, so I sent it. I sent the wrong one. And he absolutely lost his shit with me, even though all that had to happen was him to send an email saying, sorry, I sent the wrong one. It's this one. He absolutely lost his shit with me, screaming and shouting in my face. And I stood there and I took it. And felt like that was the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> and um, then kind of thinking about it afterwards, thinking this is definitely not what 15-year-old me would have done. And this is definitely not what Eric Cantona would have done. And I thought, I'm not going to do that again. And um, several months later, I was working in a different department for a different boss, and um, she was, had this big court case going on. And she basically didn't talk to me for weeks because wouldn't, wouldn't even allow me to sit in the same office as her because the sound of my tapping on the keyboard disturbed her. So I'd like to spend all day sitting in this room on my own doing nothing, which was kind of good, obviously. She was not interested in law, which I wasn't. And um, so I turned up one day in my, and it was summer, summer attire. It was like awful fucking chinos and polo shirts, like the kind of thing that, yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, shame. Uh, if I saw if I saw myself wearing them, I would be extremely ashamed. So anyhow, I turn up in this summer attire, and uh, she says, "Daniel, tell me you've got a suit, because if you're going, because uh, she was doing this court case, and if you're going to court, you have to wear a suit." She says, tell, "Daniel, tell me you've got a suit with you." And I said, "No, I don't." And she said, "But I told you you're going to court." And I said, "No, you told me you're delivering boxes to court, but you haven't spoken to me for two weeks." And she said, Daniel, I'm trying to give you some advice here. And I said, well, your tone doesn't sound very advisory to me. And uh, didn't get me anywhere, but uh, I felt better about myself. And the reason why I felt better about myself was while it was happening, I thought of Eric Cantona. And what did Eric Cantona teach us? He taught us to be true to yourself in all circumstances, whatever the consequences. And not long, not long after Selhurst Park happened, in fact, probably like less than a month after that, I was... Um, giving, I used to, it's hard to explain this, but um, Jewish kids att often attend what are called Jewish youth movements, where they kind of get to meet other Jewish kids, learn about Jewish history, all that kind of thing. And um, I was a leader in this local one of those, and um, there was a big gathering at which I was appointed to speak. Um, so what would happen is, is that the person who's appointed to speak would speak, and what they would usually do is they would like give some words of Jewish content, whether it be like a Bible story or a story about a rabbi or whatever it might be, and then they would from there they would extrapolate a message. And um, I told a story about my friend Eric, who had been abused by someone, and decided to act upon that. And the message was: you don't have to take people abusing you, and you're entitled to stand up for yourself. And it's important to be true to yourself, whatever being true to yourself means. And 
looking back, I guess I'm quite pleased that I grasped that at that age and their principles are significant, significant to us now. And this is one of the things I think about the football players that resonate with us and the, fo- the way our football clubs resonate with us is we accord them particular qualities and particular characteristics that they represent and they prompt us to think about how we can manifest those in our own lives. And I could say, sounds cheesy as fuck, but I can say that Eric Cantona absolutely did that to me. And it wasn't that I guess I was particularly behind the door in gobbing off prior to Eric Cantona booting Matthew Simmons, but it definitely made me think about those things in a slightly different way and fortified in my mind what I thought was important as a teenager who was in the process of in some way constructing themselves. Well, you mentioned the phrase, you know, being true to yourself there and and previously throughout the the time we've spent talking together and Cantona certainly did that. I think it's fair to say in an interview in 2007 said, sorry, 2011 said, the kick was a great feeling and, the, and a memory he is happy fans treasure, but admitted it was a mistake. I think you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but Lee Sharp tells a story about after the kind of aftermath of that game at Selhurst Park, where the players are expecting to get a bit of a going over from Sir Alex after a, a poor performance and result. Uh, but with Cantona being sent off, kind of, you know, kind of protects them, right? Shields them. Sir Alex comes in, tears a strip off of them as predicted and then turns to Cantona and says, Eric, you can't go around doing that. Is is um, is the relationship between Fergie and Cantona quite, you know, quite pivotal in all of this? The fact that he probably afforded him privileges that he might not have extended to other players, you know, in recognition of his genius. Would other managers have got out of Cantona what Sir Alex ultimately did? Uh, no. I mean, Fergie is a football genius, but he's also human resources genius. And both of those qualities are important in understanding how he achieved the success that he did. That he understood that, as I said before, football is simple, but people are complicated. And you can't treat everyone the same. And you have to understand what makes people tick in order to be able to get the best out of them. I think that realistically, he probably didn't know quite exactly what Eric had done either, because it was in the mayhem, in, the, in what Paulie Walnuts would call mayhem, that ensued immediately afterwards. But Fergie was absolutely essential in getting the most from Eric in the first place, and then making sure he stayed at United and getting the most from him after he got banned. And I think that. I mean, when you look back at what happened that season, I think that when, you t- think to, when you're talking about whether there was any regret as to what he did, I think the strongest possible terms in which I can express the absolutely total lack of regret is that had Eric not done that, I think we are able to say that United would have won the league that season, given how they came within a goal of doing it, that they would have won the league that season, which would have meant probably they would have won the league 93, 94, 95, 96, 97. No one's ever done that. They might have even won a double, and which would have made it three doubles in a row as well. No one's ever done that either. And yet, that moment where Eric Cantona booted Matthew Simmons that had so much greater resonance than anything just done with the aim of playing football is worth that not five titles in a row, is worth not three doubles in a row, because it was distilled into one moment so much more than football. And only speaking for myself, in all my years of watching United, that is, 
up there in my favourite moments. It's up there with winning the treble. It's up there with Brian Robson scoring when United won the league for the first time. It's up there with John Terry falling on his ass against uh, when United played Chelsea in Moscow. Um, in fact, in some ways, it's very similar to that. And um, because football is partly about 20, 22 men kicking the ball around, but it's also about lots of other things. It's about heritage and family and values and mates. And what Cantona did sort of traversed a lot of those non-footballing aspects of football that make football what football is. Well, the expectation after all that was that he would leave English football, but Ferguson's very much stuck by him, signed a new contract, and despite a brief threat to tear that up and move abroad, he served out what was ultimately an eight-month global ban that cost him the captaincy for the French national team, a place at the Euro 96 uh, Euro 96 and ultimately uh, World Cup 98, which he later admitted he would have played on to be part of. You've, you, I think you've answered my next question there, which really was, did that cost United that title? Um, so we'll skip over that and say, what was the kind of the the fallout of this? What was the, the media hysteria like? At the time, as you remember it, because I'm, I'm sure it was hysterical. Well, there was, there was, yeah, there was a lot of it, like kicks send him home, all that, like the tabloids suggesting he shouldn't be, he should be banned from English football forever. And there wasn't, there weren't a lot of people who were writing in support of Eric because, I mean, what he did was shocking. But when someone does something shocking, it doesn't necessarily mean that because it's shocking, because it's a break from the norm, that it is also necessarily immoral. And the media in this country has generally been quite reactionary. And I think that you could say that it's fair to say that perhaps the player, no players can't all go about booting people, but there's a line. And Matthew Simmons crossed that line and um, Eric retaliated. And um, I think that these days we're a bit more... And not, not enough, but a bit more aware of what you can can't say. So I think that, I mean, the hysteria was mad. I mean, he got sent to prison, he got sent to prison in the first instance, which is obviously ludicrous for what he did, but that was, that was what happened. We have a media society, so we need to accept that. We, it's impossible not, not to accept that that's what our society is. But it means that in order to sell, we have a certain level of shrillness. And that level of shrillness was present then. I mean, we didn't have, we, we, did, we didn't have social media, but we did have, uh, we did have talk, talk radio stations. And there was a lot, there was a lot of that. And then of course he, he got banned. Yeah, he got, he, got, he, got, he got the prison sentence. He got two weeks in prison that he obviously overturned. And United and the FA agreed that he was going to be banned for the rest of the season. And then the FA slapped an extra month on that as well. Which, Eric being Eric, you can imagine not going down particularly well. I've not really got a question here, but obviously we've got to discuss it. So I'm just going to say, when seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. What, you were older than me at the time, what on earth was the kind of the fallout from that? What did people make of that at the time? And... I don't know, how brilliant was it? I don't think it's that complicated. It's that, I mean, it's a complicated way of saying people hang about something because they're expecting to get something from it. And I think that what he's saying is um, 
He's he he's the trawler, and the press are pursuing him. He, I'm sure he is also doing it with a level of self knowledge and a level of humour that he knows what the reaction is going to be, and he knows that people are going to laugh, try and work out what he meant. And it's also the way that he says it. It's not when the seagulls follow the trawler, it's when the seagulls follow the trawler. It's just like everything about it is... I think the thing with Eric is that everything he does, he does with a flourish. He does it with personality. He does it with flair, with class. And that was just another one of those things. He could have said, at the end of the day, I'm over the moon to be back. And he didn't. He said what he said and it just again is another encapsulation of the kind of person that he is and I think this is part of the thing with Eric is that it's real like it's it might even there are elements of it that are performative but he's not performing someone who he isn't he's he's, he's himself and he's a showman and he understands in, in he understands what it takes to be a showman and he understands why it's important to be a showman and everything he did was that and just that that line that he came out with is part of that whole thing and it just all adds to the mystique and legend because I mean who else would do that no one else would do that and only Eric would do that and when Eric does that people say yeah Eric and that tells you that it's true well, I think we'll leave it there. We'll take a very short break and then we're back for the final part of this week's Yumian to discuss the final couple of years of Cantona's Manchester United and ultimately football career. Welcome back to Yumian. Today I've been joined by football writer and author Daniel Harris, Manchester United fan as well, of course, and we've been discussing the inimitable Eric Cantona. Uh, what was the reception like then in among football fans, among the general public, the media, as we've touched on, when he finally made his comeback game, it was memorable. Um, got an assist and a goal to secure a draw for United against Liverpool in October 95. Eric had time. And I think it took him three minutes to to make a goal, to make the goal for Nicky Buck because that's who he is. I remember the, the posters were, there was the original night poster was 1966 was a great year for English football Eric was born. And then before this, there was a poster that said, he's been punished for his mistakes or his sins, kind of which now it's someone else's turn. And there's just a certain level of confidence and swagger. And Eric, when he came out, when he, when he came out for that first game, he swaggered out. And it's all very well having swagger, but it was it was, it was swagger with substance and he proved it again. And the fact that when United got that penalty and they're two on down at home to Liverpool against the main, their biggest rivals and they're losing and there's a penalty and you know that Cantona is going to take it. Everyone knows that he's going to score that penalty and he does. And then he doesn't just celebrate. He climbs up the stanchion and it's the climbing up the stanchion as much as anything. It's back to what I said before about doing everything with style, with a, with a flourish, with personality and just, expressing yourself and it's managers often say that you know or players say the manager told us to go out and express ourselves and for Eric it wasn't just expressing himself in terms of the way that he played but it was just everything about the way that he carried himself 
was an expression, and it's an expression of joy, an expression of freedom, an expression of rebelliousness, and those are things that are important in our lives. And you're looking at Eric, and you're seeing his happiness in those things, and that's very inspirational. We mentioned his great sense of timing there. He scored twice in his first visit to Selhurst Park as Man United won 4-2 in the midst of a 12-game unbeaten run. Got a crucial goal, the winner against Arsenal as United reclaimed top spot from Newcastle and also scored the only goal of a pretty drab final against Liverpool in the uh, 96 FA Cup final, the, the Spice Boys team era. Of course, he was the man for the big occasion. How kind of pivotal... Was he in this period? And, and, and what was it about him that made him such a clutch player? How, how do you become such a clutch player uh, as he was? I guess it's hard to answer. I mean, obviously, you have, you, have to have, you have to have the skills in the first instance. You have, you have to have the natural ability to be able to do it. And you have to have the... I think that part of it is also physical fitness, that... I mean, I remember Ray Rooney in the Times recently was writing about that at the end of training, when he was knackered, he would practice finishing because that's when your chances come. I think with Eric, it was more about conserving himself, conserving the energy so that you're sharp in those moments. But it's also about personality. It's about inner peace and understanding who you are and understanding what you do and how to do it so that when the moments come, you're able to allow instinct to take over because you know within yourself that you can do it. So you don't have to overthink it. You don't get lost in the supermarket where you're going through on goal, you have an opportunity and you have numerous options and you spend your time thinking about what you're going to do. You just do the right one because you know that it's the right one. And part of that is practice and muscle memory. And part of that is an inner peace and a calmness because you know that you can do it. Unshakable confidence and, and belief. And he had that. And like the fact, like the, the goal you mentioned on the cup final, I mean, what he does to score that goal is just ridiculous. I mean, the fact that it's just before the end of the cup final, the ball bounces to Eric Cantona and he scores, just even those basic terms just sound ridiculous. Sounds, But the way that he had to adjust his body position to take the shot that he took and then the way the ball moves to go through the bodies and past the goalkeeper. It's just those moments that I think that people that are lucky enough to experience them can't really explain because they're just in the moment. It's a level of freedom and a level of oneness with, and this is now fucking ridiculous, <laughs> oneness of ridiculous with level of oneness with themselves with the world that enabled them to just experience the flow in those moments and Eric had that the following season ultimately ends up being his, his final one in football and at United he was made captain ahead of the season following Steve Bruce's departure and the standout moment on the en route to another premiership title was that stunning 25 yard chip against Sunderland and the, the subsequent very much iconic celebration, arms aloft, collar up, just sort of, you know, taking it all in, are you not entertained style. What was, was that your favourite goal? What was your favourite Eric Cantona goal uh, from five seasons of watching him? My favourite Eric Cantona goal, I guess, is 
the winner, last minute winner to win a cup final against Liverpool. Um, my, um, just looking what I think is the best goal, then I guess we're looking probably, uh, probably go for the goal he scores against Arsenal where he chests it down and uh, outside the box and smashes it over Seaman. My favourite Cantona moment is probably a pass that he plays for Solskjaer at West Ham, which um, he plays it with phenomenal disguise and control to sort of curl it and fade it and withdraw, with curl and draw to get it into Solskjaer's path, um, which I, I'd say that is probably my favourite Cantona pass. But my favourite Cantona activity is still Matthew Simmons, I'm afraid. Not I was going to, when you started answering that question, because it was something I had down to ask you last of all, I was fully expecting, I was fully expecting you to say the Kung Fu Matthew Simmons kick. Um, but no, that's... Sure, I mean, I think by the, by the final season, he probably lost a step. And he said himself, he fell out of love with the game, partly because of the commercial, the commercial hassles that he was getting from United. But also, I think he was perfectionist and he knew that he wasn't, quite perfect anymore he wasn't quite as good as he had been and I think those things contributed to him deciding that he wanted to do something different but yeah when he decided what he was doing it was a staggering moment because no one had any win that that was what was going to happen he was captain of United United won the league again he was old enough such that he had seasons to go but I guess some sportsmen and it's not just football, there's some sportsmen like to keep going because they want to compete for as long as possible. And others want to go out at the top. And not that many get to do that, to actually quit when they're still winning. I mean, Joe Calzaghi just springs to my mind as someone. Usain Bolt is another one who, I guess, had also dropped a step by the time he quit, but was still the best. And the ability to go out like that is in keeping with everything we know we know and have seen of Eric before then and subsequently. That sort of answers my next question as well, to be honest. Um, talking about, you know, quitting at only 30 years old at that point, he decided after United's Champions League exit to Borussia Dortmund a month prior that he was going to call it quits. It just all adds to his legacy though, doesn't it? There's something just, some players just have that mystique about them, right? And, and Cantona probably typifies that more than most. Yeah, it's back to being true to yourself, whatever the sacrifice. And sacrificing being captain of Manchester United to be true to yourself is significant, is huge. I mean, yeah, I don't do this anymore, even though I can still do it. And because it's not what I want. And the braveness and the clear sight to be able to see that and to decide that and to do it and to not regret it and to make it work in a completely different field as he has done is something that would be beyond most people. But Eric Cantona is not like most people, although most people should be like Eric Cantona. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, How big a part then did he play in kind of getting United back on track? Might be too strong, but, you know, as we said earlier, 26 years from the the most recent league title until the, the one they won in 93, would... United have gone on to achieve everything they did under Sir Alex and become the, the beer moth that they did without his kind of intervention over those five years, do you think? Uh, Fergie, I, I'm pretty sure Fergie had built a very good team. I think that Fergie's first team would have won the league, but whether they would have at some point, but whether they would have dominated the first five years of the Premier League in the way that they did, 
it's probably not the case. I mean, as I said before, they wouldn't have won 92, 93 without Cantona, I don't think. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that. They probably wouldn't, yeah. Only, only Cantona could have won that league for them in 95, 96. And beyond that, the players that went on to play in better teams than Eric did, I would say, after he left, were inspired by him. And so the treble that United won, the class of 92 era, like Eric was part of that as well because those players saw how he practised, they saw how he went about his business, they saw how he conducted himself on the pitch, like the confidence, the presence, um, the entitlement, the arrogance, all of those things. And Cantona awoke that in them or encouraged it in them or showed them that it was okay. And that was a major, that was a major part of them going on to be what they became. So, yeah, I think that those players would have won stuff with or without Cantona, but I don't think they would have won everything that they won as early as they won it without Cantona. How would Eric Cantona have got on in football in 2020? I'm tempted to say he'd have called it a, called it quits a lot earlier. What, what do you reckon? I think there's a football that the best players could play in any era. And Eric Cantona was certainly one of the best players. Um, whether It's hard to know because ultimately, if he was a footballer, like the, the things that pissed him off about the commercialism of the game would obviously still be pissing him off. But... He's a footballer. He was one that he was born to play football, amongst other things. He'd still be playing football, I would imagine. I'm sure of that because the game, he understood and appreciated the beauty of the game. And that remains the case despite all the things that tarnish it. So, and I, I think that physically he is big enough, he was big enough and fast enough to play in the game as it is now and skillful enough too. So, yeah, I, 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 would hap- I would happily watch Eric Cantona play for Manchester United now and even at his current age. So uh, I'm sure that he can get it done if, he, if, if United would sign young Cantona now. Fantastic. Well, finally then, Daniel, where does he sit in the kind of Man United pantheon of greats? And same question for the Premiership as well. I guess it depends what your criteria are. If you're looking for influence, then as far as United go, he is uh, taking managers out of the equation. I would say the only transfer that comes close, the only transfers that come close to Cantona in terms of significance and import and effect are Billy Meredith and Dennis Law, um, where all of them transformed United from being club that didn't do didn't, didn't do what they wanted it to do to going on to win leagues and stuff. Um, in terms of where he stands as a player, the thing about Eric was that he was he had the team around him. So if you ask me who the best centre forward I've seen play for United is, the answer is Ruben Nistelrooy, not Eric Cantona. Although I'd love to see the two of them play together because Rude was one of the best two or three players in the world in his position. You couldn't say that about Cantona, but you could say that he was the best player in the world to play in that Manchester United team by absolutely miles. Um, So if I was putting together my best team of the Premier League era, um, Cantona would be very close to getting in it because... As I keep saying, he dominated the league for five years and he decided who won the title for five years. Um, Do I think that if you took 
him and Wayne, well, Wayne Rooney, let's say, or whoever, Thierry Henry. They were better players than Eric was, but they weren't better to be in that Manchester United team at that time. And they didn't have the impact or the influence that Eric Cantona had on English football at any time, at, at that time, at, in their time. So it's really hard to know what we're, what we're judging, but he's definitely one of the most important figures in the Premier League era and probably in the history of English football in the sense that he woke. No, woke's not the right word. In the sense that he rejuvenated the biggest, the biggest club that then went on to experience two decades of unprecedented success. But it's also just the way that he imprinted his personality, his life force, his absolute self on English football. And I think probably only Gazza and George Best have done that. Well, that's pretty good company to be keeping. Daniel, thank you ever so much for joining us on this week's episode of You, Me and from Football Whispers. Make sure you give Daniel a follow on Twitter if you aren't already. And also, while you're at it, subscribe to the show via Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and pretty much any other platform where you get your podcasts these days. We'll be back next week to remember another icon of 90s football. (laughs) 